0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Bad Egg Podcast. I'm your host, Bridget. This podcast discusses topics of violence, such as rape, murder, and child abuse. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Bad Egg Podcast. I just wanted to thank everybody for being super patient with me. I know that the last episode came out way too long ago. And yeah, I just wanted to apologize, but I'm really happy to be back. We have so many new things that are happening right now. I finally finished a website. We also have a Patreon, which we have started now. So if you'd like to support us, please go to the links on our website or on Instagram and also on Spotify. You can support us by paying 4 dollars a month, which will go towards a Patreon. It will include bonus episodes and ad-free episodes. Plus, you'll get a really cool free sticker. That's where are starting for now as, you know, things start getting a lot better We'll maybe be bringing in some t-shirts and some different merchandise, which I'd be very excited to design, hopefully. We also have a subscription on Spotify, which if you look on our podcast, you will see a link for that as well. Also for $4.99 a month. All proceeds will go to making sure that we give out the best content, that we get the equipment to make everything sound great. So thank you again for being so awesome, so patient and I really look forward to what we have in store for you today. Our story starts on the 27th of January 2015 in a town called Stellenbosch in Cape Town, South Africa. Stellenbosch is a beautiful town filled with wine estates, mountains, hiking, anything you can think of is there. It's also a college town so there is a lot of young residents as opposed to also having a very wealthy a very wealthy side to it. So you've got some of South Africa's most prestigious families that live there, a lot of international business people, students. It's a very well-rounded town and as I said before it's absolutely gorgeous. Our story starts in Desultse Estate which is a security estate housing some of the most spectacular homes, and it is very, very, very secure. Around 7 a.m. on the 27th of January, emergency services received a call from a Henry van Breda, saying that his family required the services of an ambulance and the police as an attack had come in around 3 o'clock in the morning and had killed his family everyone except him he did sustain some injuries on the 27th of january sergeant adrian Kleinhans gets to the house guns drawn to make sure that the intruder has left as he walks into the house nothing seems amiss at first everything seems pristine there seems no sign of broken entry no broken glass no broken doors so he starts making his way through the house He walks through the kitchen where he notices everything still looks good except for three cigarettes, which are lying on the floor in the kitchen. As he makes his way, he gets to the first flight of stairs, where he starts to see the blood. He described it as a waterfall of blood going down the stairs. With it, the murder weapon, an axe. He starts walking up the stairs where he comes across his first victim, Teresa van Breda. She was found first at the top of the stairs, appearing to have run away from her son Henry and Rudy's room. Between Teresa and a bookcase lay their 16-year-old daughter, Marley, who was propped up slightly, eyes slightly open, and hit in the skull with an axe. As he carries on, he finds Martin van the dad, lying inside Henry and Rudy's room, face down, with three hits in the head. Rudy, Henry's older brother, was lying at the foot of Henry's bed, face down, gashes to his skull and neck. Now, amazingly, in all of this, this is what the uh, detectives came across, but Molly, 16, at this time, was still alive, she was barely holding on, so the emergency services rushed her off to the hospital as soon as possible. And Henry had a knife wound in his stomach with a few gashes. He had apparently fought off the, the axe intruder, who had eventually taken out a knife to attack him. It's at this point they decide to take Henry to the police station so they can interrogate him to find out exactly what happened to his parents and who would want to hurt him and his family. Once at the police station, Henry van Breda goes through the events of the evening before. He says around 6.30pm, Henry and his dad Martin opened up a bottle of red wine. He wasn't very sure which brand it was, as his dad had opened the bottle. They together shared two glasses of wine, and Henry also had a glass of whiskey. At this point in time, Rudy, the older brother, had gone for a run, while Molly, the sister, and Teresa, the mother, were somewhere in the house doing their own personal errands. So Henry and Martin had two glasses of red wine, while Henry also had a glass of whiskey. Just after this, the three of them, Henry, Martin, and Rudy, decided to watch Star Trek 2. While watching Star Trek 2, Henry had a rum and coke and around 9 o'clock is when Martin, Henry and Rudy decided it was time to say goodnight and they all went to bed. Martin at this particular point had actually gone to sleep while Rudy and Henry had lay in their bed till about 11 o'clock, both each on their laptops watching their own separate movies. We aren't sure what Rudy was watching, but Henry says he stayed awake until about 3am watching an anime called One Piece. Then to fall asleep, he decided to put some music on his phone, put his headphones in to not wake Rudy and listen to music so he could gently fall to sleep. Before he goes to bed, he decides and he uses these exact words to release his bowels So he goes to the toilet, still with his phone, still with the headphones in, and he goes to the bathroom. It's at this point the attack begins on Rudy. Henry says he can hear a noise coming from the room, and he peeks through the door to see a shadowy figure leaning on top of Rudy, hitting him, and at this particular point, he says he starts to call for help, which is when his dad decides to run in and the Men decides that he is now going to attack Martin. Rudy and Martin both get attacked while Henry says he stood there completely frozen, unsure of what to do. After that, they hear Teresa yelling, which is the mom, and the Axeman decides to run out. And he can hear the struggle inside the the hallway between the intruder and Teresa. He isn't really sure how Molly got involved at this particular time. All he could hear was the the commotion between Teresa and the intruder. And at some point, Molly was awake as well and unfortunately also got attacked. Once that was done, Henry is still frozen in his bedroom, unsure of what to do. The attacker comes back inside, laughs at Henry, and then decides to attack Henry. It was at this point that Henry unfroze and decided he was going to fight back, and he fought the intruder. He was luckily able to disarm the intruder and get rid of the axe, but it was at this point the intruder pulled out a knife and tried to stab Henry. Henry kept fighting. He eventually picked up the axe as the intruder decided to run away and he ran after him down the stairs which is why they found the axe at the bottom because Henry decided to throw it at the intruder. It's unsure of how long this attack lasted but we have reason to believe between 3 a.m and 3 30 a.m is when all of this happened. It's at this point Henry realizes what's going on, and he decides to call his girlfriend, Bianca, who was not awake and the phone went to voicemail. Right after that, Henry lost consciousness and passed out. He woke up about three hours later, when is when he googled how to call the emergency services as he wasn't sure how to, and then he was able to get emergency services on the line. Police had their work cut out for them. They had an axe murderer on the loose, who brutally murdered three people, injuring two, leaving one in critical condition. They were unsure if Molly, who was 16 at the time, would even survive the brutal attack. She had three head wounds from that axe. Police had one major question. Who would want to hurt the Fun family? Martin van was a very successful businessman who had run his companies overseas in Australia for a few years. Him and Teresa had decided to move back for Martin to pursue his business interests and so Teresa could be closer to her family. Henry and Rudy had stayed in Melbourne for a few more months as they were both finishing up their studies at the university in Melbourne. Once they moved back, Henry had decided to take a gap year because he was unsure of what he wanted to do with the rest of his life. What I am going to play for you now is the emergency call placed at seven a.m. on that morning, and I'd like to know if you found anything strange about this phone call. What
1: is seven? What is your emergency?
2: I am. Um, yeah, I need an ambulance. Lots of. Um,
1: you need an is- ambulance.
2: Yes, please.
1: What's your name, sir? Uh, Henry from Henry, what's the yeah. contact number you're phoning from?
2: Um, My home phone number, but um, I'm not sure what the home phone number is. My cell phone, uh, we're at 12 Husker Street, please.
1: What is this number that you're phoning from? Is there someone else that can speak if you're not able to?
2: No, I'm...
1: Who else is in the house?
2: There's no one else. There's I one need else the is. contact
1: number, please.
2: Yeah. Okay. O two, one. o two one. Double eight double zero. Double eight, double zero. Four nine three.
1: Four nine three. And you need the ambulance to go to what?
2: Number twelve, H- Hoskus Street. Hoska. Hoska. G O S.
1: G O S. K E. What area is this?
2: It's in Stollenbosch. and it's it's in the Zolta Estate. Number twelve.
1: Hoskus Viet in Stellenbosch. Yes. yes. I'm not picking it up for Stellenbosch. I'm picking it up for Burtis of what um, well, We're in,
2: okay, in, in the Zulzer Winelands, it's an estate. Um, D E, and another word, Z A L Z E. D E
1: Z A L Z E.
2: Yeah, D E. <laughs>
1: I'm not picking it up, eh, for Stellenbosch. What area in Stellenbosch are you in?
2: Um, I, I don't know. That's all that... W- we're in Zolte 1, and it's an estate. It's a security estate.
1: Are you sure it's 12 Hoskes Street? Yes, Hosker absolutely. is in Bootesig Molnitten, eh? And you're saying you saying you're out in Stellenbosch? Yes. What? And you don't know what area in Stellenbosch?
2: It's... It, I'm not sure how much more specific I need to be. Double eight
1: double
2: zero four nine
0: three. Yeah. If you're like me, I, I'm i not a professional when it comes to crime or investigating. I just, like many people listening to this podcast and truly intrigued and interested in a lot of these investigations. And one thing that really stood out for me was the lack of urgency in Henry van for phone call. There was just, at no point did he mention why he needed an ambulance, that he needed police, that there had been an intruder in his house, that his family was brutally murdered. He seems very calm, very, just very calm in a lot of ways. And it it triggered suspicion for a lot of people, especially the investigators. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go through a lot of the inconsistencies in Henry's story and the circumstantial evidence that the police did find. So let's start with the injuries. When we observe Henry, the rest of his family had all been attacked with an axe Throughout this whole ordeal, Henry stands frozen, is unable to move. He has a phone in his hand with his headphones on. At least to me, I felt if he was able to call out, especially in the beginning as he says he was trying to call for help, I'm just not sure why he couldn't call the police. He does say later on that because he had just moved back, from Australia, he didn't remember what the emergency numbers were, and he he had to actually Google them when he did wake up that morning, because he wasn't aware of what the numbers were. But when we look at his wounds, everyone else had suffered deadly blows. His father, brother, mother, and sister, and all with an axe. However, when it was Henry under attack, he was able to disarm the axe man, have the axe, not not inflict any damage back and all of a sudden this intruder pulls out a knife. He's the only one of the families to have any knife wounds. The other thing that I found suspicious was that his wounds were non-fatal. And when these were taken to a professional, he said that a lot of these injuries seemed to be self-inflicted and only skin deep. They weren't enough to cause any major damage towards Henry. When it comes to blood and DNA, the investigators could not find any foreign DNA around the house. No fingerprints, no additional shoes, no blood. The only thing that was found at the house was the family's blood, Henry's included. What this suggests is that he is the only one in close proximity to his family. They had also found both samples of Rudy and Henry's blood in the shower, coupled with a presence of blood spatter on his shorts, but not his torso. The evidence suggested the possibility that after the attacks, Henry had taken a shower to try get rid of any evidence. His explanation was that he and his brother shared a shower and the blood could have been there as a shaving accident. So another thing was the blood patterns on Henry. The deviation on his chest and upper arms all indicated that he had little to no movements after the injuries. And this was inconsistent with his version. As in his version given to police, he also stated that he tripped up the stairs and that he had a life and death fight with the intruder. However, the blood spatter does not say that was plausible at all. It also says that this would have been possible if he passed up sitting upright. One of the things that also did not seem plausible about him passing out was in order to pass out, he needed to lose a lot of blood but the wounds he sustained were so superficial, they wouldn't have created that amount of blood loss for Henry to pass out and not just pass out, but to pass out for three hours. Remember this attack took place at 3 a.m. in the morning. He called at 7 a.m. And when everything ended at, at whatever time at three, the first call he placed was to his girlfriend at the time. He didn't run out to neighbors. He didn't call anybody else in his family to try to get somebody to come help him. The only call he made was to his girlfriend. He then passed out, says he Googled the emergency numbers in order to get police there. And this is where it is also a little suspicious. As you walk into the house, they had a fridge and on the fridge had all the emergency numbers needed. They had the security guards for the states, They had hospital numbers, doctors, police, all put up on the fridge. The phone was a few meters away from that fridge with all the emergency numbers. Now one might say that perhaps Henry didn't see it or wasn't aware they were there as he had just moved back from Australia. But he'd moved back from Australia six months prior to his parents' and brother's murder. I feel like if you've been living in a house for six months, you'd know, you'd be aware that there were numbers on the fridge. However, his family was also just brutally attacked. It's very plausible that he wasn't thinking straight, but all of these inconsistencies and all of these circumstances just, they don't really, they don't point to an intruder coming into the house. Henry also changed his statement a little bit later, saying that there were actually two intruders in the house. So he started off by saying there was one, and as time went on, he changed his story, saying that there were only two. All these inconsistencies started to add up. Another thing the investigators were curious about is if the ax man had come in, started murdering the family, And Henry had called out as he'd stated he had, why did the second intruder not come up to assist? And after hearing the fight between Henry and the first intruder, even then, why didn't he come to his aid? Why was nothing taken in the house? Why was there no signs of forced entry? You know, in South Africa, it's not like the States where a lot of people fall asleep with their doors open or unlocked. In South Africa, there is a huge crime rate. A lot of people, even in security states, are very, very pedantic about closing their doors, making sure things are locked, making sure that the alarm systems are on. At one point, Henry says that the intruders must have run out the back door as they always leave that unlocked. Again, going with the with the background that South Africa has, that's very uncommon for anybody to leave their doors unlocked. The other thing, as we spoke before, was the odd demeanor right after the attacks happened. He had Googled the emergency services instead of just using the list of emergency services included on the fridge. Before he'd called, he'd smoked three cigarettes claiming it was to calm his nerves as he had an Australian accent at the time. I personally didn't hear it in the phone call, but being a South African, a lot of people confuse my accent with Australian accents. It just doesn't seem plausible to me as well that the emergency the emergency wouldn't be able to understand him and what he was saying with an Australian slash South African accent. Another thing to Kate to take into account is the Van Burda family had a dog named Sasha. And their d- domestic worker testified that Sasha would bark at her whenever she was at the door. However, according to Henry, he says that Sasha was unlikely to bark at intruders and noises outside, but would get excited and bark at doorbells and phone calls. However, it does seem strange that if he was in in an attack, his family being murdered that the dog never made a sound, didn't react, didn't do anything to help protect him or at least make such a noise that the neighbors would be suspicious. It had been noted, however, that on the day, excuse me, that on the day the dog Sasha was feeling unwell. No one knows why and he is unsure if she was on any medication that day. But I'm sure after hearing all of this, a lot of Henry's story doesn't make sense. And it left investigators with no choice but to arrest Henry. It was on the 13th of June, 2016, when Henry Van Breda actually hands himself over to police on the instruction of his lawyer. They did have a current arrest warrant out for him. And instead of being chased down, his lawyer insisted it would just be better for him to hand himself in. Now, before we get onto the trial, one of the biggest questions has been motive. What could have Motivated Henry to to follow out this excessively gruesome attack on his parents, and there's not a lot there's not a lot of evidence, but it is said that Rudy and Henry were and Molly were going to inherit a lot of money from their father. And even though they were seen as being a very normal, a very close knit family, as every family, there were some skeletons in the closet. Henry was seen as the black sheep of the family. He didn't excel as well as his brother and sister did in school and outside activities. Rudy and Molly were very diligent. They did very well in school. And when it came to Henry, Henry actually dropped out of school, out of the University of Melbourne. He had come back unsure of what to do with his life and decided to take a gap year. It's in that time that he battled a lot with drug addiction, alcohol addiction, and his family, even though they're exceptionally loving and very supportive, his dad had threatened to cut off his allowances and any funds if he didn't straighten out his act. A lot of people say that this could be the reason for Henry losing control that night. You know, it might have been a lot to live up to these expectations of his brothers and sisters. When you look at the attack, Henry and Teresa were, were, oh sorry, Martin and Teresa were attacked very brutally, but Molly received the worst beating. And the thought behind that is because while the others were kind of taken aback, it looked as though Molly actually fought her attacker off. Just a little side note on that. So when it comes to motivation, no one's really sure what motivated Henry to do this. It was, it was absolutely awful. And on 21st of May, 2018, Judge Shiraj Desai found Van Breda guilty on all charges. He was arrested on three murder charges and one attempted murder charge. I have the video, well, the audio for you to listen to, with that verdict.
3: You have committed crimes with a degree of unbridled violence. The violence directed against your own family, killing three and and causing serious harm to the fourth. The weapon used against the deceased and the injured was an axe, with the victims unarmed and defenseless. It was a cold-blooded murder. The violence was excessive and gratuitous. It was intended to cause maximum harm. The three victims died, With the wounds caused by the axe you wielded against them. The fourth survived, albeit with serious injuries. The clear intent was to kill her as well. We have no explanation for what you did. You have displayed no remorse. We have heard extensive evidence of the consequences of your conduct, the cruel consequences. Yet we have no explanation from you. No substantial and compelling circumstances have been placed before us. They appear to be none. Whatever the statutory minimum sentence regime, the same severe sentences would in any event follow. And I say this with some regret, although you are relatively young and with no previous convictions, your conduct warrants the severest possible penalties. Society expects no less. The crimes Or in such a result. And your circumstances, personal circumstances, are not sufficiently compelling to come to any different conclusions. In the result, on count one, the murder of Rudy Van Bredaar, you are sentenced to life imprisonment. On count two, the murder of Martin Van Bredaar, you are sentenced to life in prison. On account three, the murder of Teresa van Breda, you are sentenced to life in prison. For the attempted murder of Mali van Breda, you are sentenced to 15 years in prison. On account five, obstructing the course of justice, for the administration of justice, as said on the chart sheet, you are sentenced to 12 months in prison.
0: So that concludes the story of Henry, Henry Van Breda, the axe murderer of South Africa. Again this is one of these stories where three innocent people brutally lost their lives. And Mali, who has luckily made a full recovery but has amnesia of the night and is unable to testify as to what actually happened. Also because of everything she's gone with, she keeps a very, very low profile and having interviews or being able to speak with her just hasn't been an option at the moment. And I completely respect that. She was 16 years old at the time and had to witness, just had to witness her family being murdered and then fighting off the intruder or Henry and having to survive all of that and not even to be sure as to what exactly happened that night. I can't imagine what it must be like for her to lose her family all in one night and to be left alone at the age of 16. She's a true survivor. And if she does hear this podcast, I hope that she's doing well. And I really, I feel for her and her family. What she had to go through, no one should ever have to go through that. Having said that, unfortunately, Henry decided to take one of the worst routes that night. Instead of dealing with whatever he was dealing with, with his family, he went down a road which you just can never turn back from. And he is now spending his life sentences in Paulsmore Prison in Cape Town which is one of the worst prisons in the world. It's overpopulated. It's exceptionally dangerous run by gangs and it's, it's awful. So needless to say, there's no death penalty in South Africa. However, most would say to live a life out in Paulsmore is, um, it's punishments enough. Thank you so much for listening again, I'm very thankful for everyone who's been super supportive during this time. I promise that from now on, I will be much better at putting out a lot of episodes. Please go subscribe to our newsletter if you'd like to get any updates or read anything with our upcoming news on the podcast. You can support us on Patreon or Spotify. This way, it would really help you know, just to get better equipment to make sure the content that I'm putting out is of a great quality. (laughs) I don't know how to say that. I also have a really, really great announcement to make is that I am starting a new podcast called The Night Has Ears. It's Tales of the Wild. As you guys know, I am South African, and I spent most of my life growing up in the bush. I've been lucky enough to travel the Kalahari, Botswana. My mom lived in a place called Marloth Park, which is right next to Kruger Park. I spent most of my youth learning and being around animals and having moved overseas. I, I really miss that. And I've also realized how few, how few people know these interesting animals. And I would like to get a lot of their stories out at the same time, educating the public on how important our animals are to our, just to our lives, to the world, and that they have incredible stories. We should respect them. And I really hope you guys give it a listen. I will be putting out the link on on the bad egg as well. So you guys can listen to the first episode, which is also dropping today. Thank you again for all the support. And I will see you guys next week. Bye. Don't be a bad egg.